Welcome to the Start, Scale, Succeed podcast with me, your host, Nicole Higgins, the Buy and Retail Coach, sharing tips, advice, and insight from entrepreneurs that have just launched to multi-million pound business owners. We will be discussing the challenges they faced, advice they would give, and the milestones they achieved and how they got there. Also joining me will be a broad range of experts with some tips and practical how-tos, episodes that will help your business grow and to enable you to live the life you crave. The types of experts that you'll hear from will be those that you will find beneficial as you start and scale your business, from branding and social media experts to mindset coaches and PR marketing. There will also be solo episodes from me discussing a variety of topics from sourcing to maximizing the profit in your business. start your business with one product? And is there such a thing as an overnight success? The answer to those questions, we're going to find out now in this podcast with Sally King, who is the founder of Urban Size, a stylish furniture business for small spaces. Thanks very much, Sally, for joining me today. Thanks for having me. Lovely to be here. We were chatting before we were recording in terms of some of the misconceptions people have about when you're starting a business that they need to be an overnight success or it doesn't take this long period of time. You started your business in 2015 was previously a lawyer before that. Tell me about your background and how you started the business. Yeah, I started in 2015. Like you said, I was a lawyer at the time and that was not sparking joy for me at the time. So I was looking for something else that I could do. And I just moved into a really small flat in Greenwich. And being in London, it wasn't a particularly cheap flat, but it was tiny. It was really, really small. And there wasn't really much on the market for, you know, smaller spaces other than Ikea, which is great, but sometimes you just want something a little bit more high-end. And I just thought there must be other people that have these small flats in London, but have somewhat of a budget to spend on furniture, but there just isn't that available. Like most of the furniture that I'd go and look at looked like it had been made for a mansion when you got it into my house. So I thought there must be something in this. And there was one problem that I had in my flat where I had my bed in this little alcove and there was no room either side for a bedside table. And every morning I used to get in, back into bed when I made my tea, sit there drinking my tea and just get frustrated every morning. There's nowhere to put this tea. There's nowhere to put it. And there are worse problems in the world, I understand. Yeah. But this is a real pain point for me every single day. It's really irritating. So I started experimenting with like little shelves that you could put on the wall and that didn't really work because then it was like, I just want a little bit of storage. And sort of bit by bit, I came up with the idea for the first product, which was the floating bedside table, which is still the best seller for me today. And yeah, so I made a little one and then I photographed it and put it on Etsy because Etsy is like a really great way to start any kind of product business because there's literally no barrier to entry. You can take a picture, upload it and you're there. You've got your business. So I put that onto Etsy and I sold one and I thought, oh, great. Okay, that's fun. And then I didn't really sell any more after that for quite a while. And <laughs> okay, this isn't really happening. And then one day I thought, do you know what? I'm going to paint this white because a lot of people at that time, there was a lot of painted white furniture that were people were. You're talking about shabby chic era. Yeah, time. exactly. Do you remember at that time everyone was doing that chalk paint, that Annie Snow yeah. kind of look? So took one out to my balcony and painted it white. And that changed things completely. Then I started selling one a week and then 10 a week. And then it just sort of snowballed. I say snowballed, like sort of slowly, slowly just started growing from there and that gave me the confidence then like no actually there is something in this I think this is going to work. So going back to making that leap so you were still I'm presuming working as a lawyer at the time as well so you're managing both your full-time lawyer job that took you a long time to get there and you know a lot of investment in university fees and time and what did people think you were crazy to pursue this avenue? 
I don't know if people thought it was crazy to pursue this particular avenue. It made sense in a lot of ways because I have a family background in that industry. But in terms of even a law job, I think people think you're crazy because, yeah. you know, it's a really well-paid job. It takes such a long time to get there, a lot of effort. It's really difficult to break into in terms of getting a training contract, getting through that and then qualifying. So, yeah, to have gone through all that and then be like, oh, I don't think I really like this anymore. <laughs> Isn't it funny, though, like you go through, I think there's so many people that have done it. And I think part of it is the issue with school. You go through and you're said, right, these are the good jobs. Or these are the jobs that are going to pay the certain thing or these are the professions that you should. I think it's changed a little bit, but these are the jobs that you should go after. And you become a bit blinkered to other options. And I think you become, depending on what your family life is like and what your, the options that are there for you, you come a bit blinkered to go, right, that's my option. That's what I have to do. And then, like you say, you start something, you go, hang on a second. This is not filling me up. This is not where I want to be. You know, I need, I'm going to be spending the rest of my potential, the next 50 odd years doing something that is not, like you said, giving me joy. And, you know, I do, I do really do think people just need to reassess. And, you know, if you, if you're listening and you've got kids, give them the option to breathe and to experiment and do different things because life's too short to focus on something that, or to stay in something that you don't want to, you don't want to do. And going back to your business, I think it's really interesting, like you said, that you had something that was quite slow and then you, you just changed it rather than giving up or saying, right, okay, that's not it. You just reassessed and re-looked at the same product in a different way. Yeah. And what talk us through how it started to when really so you painted the product right it really started to gain traction then what was your move are you still selling on etsy or how have you progressed then yeah i sold on etsy for quite a long time just exclusively because around that time i had my daughter as well so i was managing that and having a newborn so i did just sell on etsy exclusively for quite a long time and then i started to build my own website but before i actually managed to launch it I was applying for not on the high street at the time because they have, they're not like Etsy. You do have to actually apply and be accepted by them. And that ended up being a really long process. And I think that was the next move for me because they didn't accept me. And they said, you can't be listed with one product. We can't mm -hmm. have someone on there with just one product. So that forced me to expand the range because then I was like, well, I want to be on there. And maybe, you know, they're a big retailer. They must know like what it takes to, move to the next level and it has to be new products so then I spent some time designing new products but again I just kind of based it off of what I was doing already so I had the floating bedside table so I just made a much bigger kind of version of it as a dressing table so that was like yeah. the next product so it wasn't like reinventing the wheel I was like right let's use what we've got as a basis to try and like expand that and I did something that was quite similar that was a shelf as well and yeah I just kind of worked up from there and then not on the high street accepted me once I had more products and had photographed them and everything because I didn't have professional photography at the time either. And they were like, what is happening yeah. with your photos? So yeah, I um, had, and that was like another big step up because that was the, the point that I invested in product and photography. So that upped my game across all of the platforms. So on Etsy and on not on the high street. And then I was, it was easier for me to launch my website as well because it was, it's difficult to have a website just with one product. It is yeah. like, it's just, it just doesn't look good when you go into it particularly. And I think as well, I think you can absolutely launch with one product, particularly there's particular industries that you can, you can do that well in. Sometimes you might have different colors of the one product or different yeah. fabrications of the one product. So that it's, so it fills it out a little bit, but I think what you hit on 
really well was you didn't reinvent the wheel. You looked at what your bestseller was and what are the versions that you can do that you know this person is going to is still going to like. So adding the dressing table in, and that way you're you're taking a very calculated, informed risk with your development and your product and your time rather than going okay, right? I'm going to now go and do chairs. You yeah. know, and going straight into something like that, whereas, you know, you had the information and, and the lessons. And how long did it take for you to really go, right, okay, I'm going to leave my law job? How long, do, like, what kind of time period are you talking about there? There was a bit of an overlap between working and having the product, but it, it kind of overlapped with me being pregnant and have my daughter because I was like, I don't want to be doing three things at once. So that was kind of the push for me, really, was... Um, moving into family life and sort of setting up so that I think it's very difficult to have a law job and sort of spend a lot of time with your children and have a side hustle so that was kind of the impetus for me to move into it rather than to be honest that it had reached a point of success right so I was still working on it definitely at that point in terms of trying to build it up but I had got the confidence by that point because that was after we'd started painting things white and things were starting to sell so it's like the momentum was starting to come even if the cash wasn't coming. Yeah, yeah, point, yeah. You could see, you could see yeah. light at the end of what's that expression? Light at the end of the tunnel. That's what yeah. I mean in terms of that they actually that it was building traction. Yeah. And we mentioned about overnight successes at the beginning. I think people don't realize it takes a long time to build a business. Yes, there are some overnight successes, but sometimes there's a lot of. I was watching something the other day. You know, with Gymshark, they had seven. I think it had six or seven failed businesses before Gymshark took off. Mm. You know, so. Just because one business doesn't work doesn't mean your next one isn't going to. And you're all going to, you know, you're going to learn lessons on each one that you do. What then were, became the pivotal milestones for you? Like, was it always very organic or was it like, did you get an orders from wholesale? Was it, what been your pinch me moments? I think I've never done any wholesale, but I think the main points for me were when we got accepted on, on the high street, because that felt like a validation from like a bigger retail space so it's like okay now I'm doing something right so that was like a, a confidence booster and did change the game in terms of sales and then I think the next thing that starts to really change things is when you start getting recognition from press because that like when I started interior blogs were a huge thing so a few interiors blogs like Remodelista and Apartment Therapy featured the floating bedside tables and that really accelerated things and then I think we got featured in the Sunday Times and the Stylist, and it was like, wow, like these really big publications. And it just, I think it's just, it's definitely like a confidence boost and the recognition from somebody other than, you know, your mom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, no, this is working. And then from that, then sales start to build and then start to build out different products. And I think it's just, I don't, there's not been any one big like, oh, wow, this has been like the turning point for me. I've never had like a post go viral. I've never had, you know, a massive press piece where it's like, oh, my God, we got hundreds of orders from this one press piece. It's very much been like brick by brick by brick. Yeah. And there have been like these small moments that have definitely changed things. But it's definitely been a slow build for me. And so you started with one. How many SKUs do you have now? Forty-five. Okay, great. And that, that's furniture. So it's quite, you know, it's, yeah, for bulky, furniture, it's a lot. Yeah. 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 Are you ready to scale your e-commerce store? Want to do it without having to wear yet another hat and become a digital marketing expert? This episode is brought to you by Neon Digital Clicks, the paid traffic partner for family and women's e-commerce brands 
wanting to scale their stores from five-figure to six-figure months using Meta, Google, and Klaviyo marketing services. Neon is offering listeners a free scaling audit worth £3,000. So whether your sales have plateaued or you're looking for growth, this is a great opportunity to lift the lid on your business and identify where the opportunities are hiding. Head to scalingglow.com to discover just how much revenue you could scale your store to this year. And do you still sell on Not On The High Street and Etsy or is it all your own platform now? Yeah, I do. I still sell on Etsy because everything that I sell in the US and well, it used to be Europe, but let's not talk about Brexit and how that affected <laughs> things. But for selling in the US, I find it much easier to sell through Etsy because, because for one thing, they get in front of the US customers. And secondly, they deal with the local taxes and all that kind of stuff, which just means that you don't, I don't have to think about that. So don't sell to the US on my own website. So I do keep Etsy for that purpose. And then not on the high street, I'm also still selling on because again, I think it reaches a different market because, you know, they're very much about gifting and that kind of thing. And that's not an audience that's necessarily going to come to us organically. So it's just Mm -hmm. like another avenue. And have you had any copycats? Do you know what? Funny you should say that. I was actually talking to a friend about this yesterday and I have had so many people copy from other sellers on Etsy to the point where they'll take our photo, our image, and use that. Not even like do their own version or their own. And there's like a couple of really big retailers I won't name that copied stuff very early on. And I've just let it slide. And the other day I thought, I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm going to start taking some action because it started to make me really cross actually because mm-hmm. I think. I know for a fact that a lot of big retailers spend time looking at other small brands and taking those ideas. And it's just, and you, I mean, you must have seen it in a lot of examples. I remember when uh, Joe from Scamp and Dude made a huge deal over Asda taking her designs. And it's just so unacceptable, isn't it? It's just really disappointing as well. Yeah, no, it is. I think it's harder with a shape. With a print, it's easier and you can not necessarily copyright the print, but there's like intellectual property that you can do yeah. on the print. Is there something like that that you can do on shape? Other than, you know, I think it's really difficult. I think they do make it really difficult because like you say, there's not necessarily something like super unique about a shape. Yeah. But I know there's like various groups in furniture who have set up bodies that where they will help you with like that kind of thing. So I'm just going to start looking into it and having a law background is useful. Although that wasn't my area, at least like you know where to start with it. And yeah, and I suppose the terminology as well, yeah. or, you know, and some of it can help you a little bit as well. And because I was interested when you said that you hadn't gone down the wholesale route, but you were on not on the high street, which would have had quite a high commission as well anyway. Is there a particular reason that you haven't gone into wholesale? I think because although not on the high street commission is high, it's not as high as the high, sort of high street retailers are expecting. And I just didn't initially build that into my pricing. Yeah. And so it's quite difficult to row back on that now and make the price into a point where it's going to be attractive for wholesale. So yeah. it's just another part of my business model from the beginning. And yeah, I and it doesn't need to be. You know, it, yeah. it, it absolutely doesn't need to be. And it's you're getting in front of new people the way that you're doing it. I suppose it is just going after those retailers that are doing something that's very similar to your your designs and protecting your intellectual property a bit more so that you can those people come and find you rather than whoever that retailer may be that's that's doing something similar. And what are the challenges that you're facing now? 
Well, I think the cost of living crisis has meant that buying expensive furniture is probably not at the top of most people's <laughs> list of things that they want to buy at the moment. So um, let's put that in context. How much is your your number one product, the floating? The floating bedside table. Yeah, yes, so sorry, the floating bedside table. That's 120 pounds. Okay. So our sales for floating bedside tables have always maintained the business. They're still great absolutely fine because I think it is at that price point where people are happy to spend that money where sales have dropped slightly is for our more expensive items say we've got you know the most I think the most expensive thing we've got is a sideboard which is 750 pounds I think people are thinking a lot more about spending that kind of money at the moment especially because during COVID I mean we were so busy during COVID it was absolutely mental like the busiest two years and I think a lot of people have spent that time on their houses now, and now they're kind of yeah. spending their money on other things, you know, on experiences, on holidays, on spas, or just completely cutting back, which is understandable. So I think at the moment, the challenge for me is kind of refocusing on the core business, like what we're really known for, and just maintaining that aspect of the business and understanding that like the rest of it will come back in time because everything is a cycle. And just, but that's, I think that's what's good about having such a core product because you can always come back to that. It doesn't have to be, you know, all and everything at the same time. Like there are ebbs and flows in business. It's like, right, at this time, let's focus on what's working really well. So in terms of how are you trying to drive your core product and your core business to help combat maybe a decline in sales from your more expensive items? So we've never spent much time in the past marketing the floating bedside table. So we don't email about it. We don't put it on any of our Instagram or anything like that. We generally focus on the bigger items. And that's because they've kind of sold themselves. That's just so funny, Sally, that, you know, it is, it's like one of your best sellers and you've not talked about it, you know, and it's like, ah. You know what's what's odd though? When we, part of the reason being is we did, we have spent time on Instagram talking about it, but it's, it's probably our worst performing content. So although it sells really well, it doesn't do that well on Instagram. It doesn't do that well on email. And yet it keeps on selling. And I think the reason for that is, is because of the legacy of it. Because in the early days, like I said, it was when the interior blogs were really big. So I did a lot of blogging in the early days. I've got a lot of like SEO on my site that's related to floating bedsides. And that's because it's been going for so, so long. I do really well with the SEO and Google on floating bedside tables. Yeah. So we come up like a lot. So I think that's where our sales come from for for those items. And yeah, we just kind of lean into what works on which platform really. But I think now, now that we are focusing more on floating bedside tables, we are going to start doing more content for Instagram on them. We will start emailing people about it and just experimenting with how that works and what kind of content maybe resonates with people in terms of those items, whether it needs to be more kind of tips for people, like small space hacks rather than just like here's a phone bed. Yeah, I think that's true. It's really about how can they use it or how does it fit in their life? What are the other things? It's about the connection pieces of what could be that you could put with that and how it looks and the styling and everything rather than like you say here's a photo go by you know it's a different kind of thing and what about advertising then have you do you spend much on like have you advertised you spend much on advertising (laughs) I I have during before and part way through covid I spent quite a lot on Facebook ads Instagram ads that kind of thing and they worked amazingly during that period of time but yeah. then when the, I mean, as you know, when the iOS 
10 updates came in, it was just, it completely changed overnight and they just, it wasn't worth us running them anymore. Yeah. Um, Because the ROAS got so bad, but that time it did work really, really well. So as I say, I think most of our traffic was organic. Like the number one driver of traffic on our website is Pinterest by an absolute mile. Let's talk a little bit about that. So how long have you been on Pinterest from the start? Yeah, because like my early days focus was on blogs so much. So every week you used to do a blog post and then I'd link out all of the images that we had on the blog post to Pinterest. And then I'd send everyone on an email list an email about those products and the blog post. So like kind of like linking it all together. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And because it's just been such a long time and like being consistent and doing it every week, all of that time, we just got like a huge bank now of that. That's like, it's because Pinterest and blog posts are evergreen content. Yeah. We're still looking at that now. Whereas with Instagram, it's like a content machine, isn't it? Constantly feeding it, constantly feeding it. And like, a lot, I know you can reuse stuff, but it's not evergreen in the same way that Pinterest and blog posts are. No, I agree with you. And I think as well, particularly for interiors, Pinterest, yeah, Pinterest is just- works great for interiors, food, fashion, that kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, we were just doing, I've just been doing my children's bedrooms and Pinterest was where I was spending my time. I created these little mood boards to give to the joiner to be like, right, that we want this, this, this. And it's your first stop, isn't it? Because it, it yeah. creates that, you know, you've got mood board for yourselves. So when you say drives the most amount of traffic, what kind of a percentage would you say is driving to your website? About 60%. Wow, that's massive. I think for anyone who's listening and is not on Pinterest then to start doing it. And so, like you said, you would write blogs, then link to Pinterest. Yeah, and I used blogs. to do all that manually, but now I use Tailwind so it probably takes me 15 minutes a week to just load everything, all the images up into Tailwind, schedule them so they're going in at a certain like time every single day. And it's just, it's just such an easy way to get content out there. If you have got the images, that's the other thing is like constantly producing images. Yeah. But if you're getting 60% of your traffic, it's that's worth spending your time on rather than yeah. trying to think of a new reel or dancing around in front of, of Instagram. And you said before and when we were chatting that you're quite introverted. So in yeah. terms of how you show up on social media, how do you manage that? Do you do you try not to? Or tell me a little bit about how you, do you put yourself forward in the business or not? Yeah, definitely. I think you have to, to a degree, but I think there's definitely this narrative on social media at the moment that's like, if you're a small business, you have to overcome your fear and be speaking on camera every day and people want to see you and like I don't think that's actually true for a lot of businesses yes I think people want to see the person that's behind the brand but I don't think you need to be on TikTok doing a dance or you know speaking on camera every day or doing lives or doing these things that make you feel uncomfortable because if you don't look and feel natural doing it I think it can be counterproductive and I think you have to find what level of that you're comfortable with. So how I try and do it is whenever we're doing photo shoots or the team gets together or anything like that, where there's a behind the scenes, we just have like video running. So it's quite natural. So you can kind of see what we're doing, but we don't have to be, you know, out there. Yeah. Jazz hands. And yeah, sometimes I'll do like small space tips when I can like pre-record videos and I'm in my home and I feel comfortable and that kind of thing. So I think finding your sweet spot of like what you feel comfortable doing is 
kind of key to showing up for me. Yeah. And and you don't have to share everything. You know, some people feel that they have to share absolutely everything that's going on in their lives and you don't at all. Do you know, I do think no. it's good to know, particularly female led business or, you know, in a founder business, but you know, it, it's good to to show that face, but then often what can happen is the founder becomes so associated with the business that if they try, if they want to scale and sell it, they have to start to step back so that they're not as front and center, you know? That was definitely another factor for me is that it was like, if I do want to scale and I want it to be, if you want something to be a standalone brand and have like a life of its own, it can't be so interconnected with you that you can't disengage yourself from it because yeah. then your sales are coming through because of you, because of your the face. Whereas I think you need to start to let your business be running well because people like the product. Or, yeah. And stand you know, on its own two feet. Yeah. You know, exactly. so the things you're doing to generate, so blogs still, Pinterest, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And then Google and SEO, they're the kind of things, would you say, yeah. that are driving the traffic for you? Yeah, definitely. I mean, we are on Instagram and we're really active on there pretty much daily with stories and post three times, we post three times a week which I feel is a lot of work to do because you have to do reels now. And it's just, that's as, that's as much as we can do on there really. And like I say, I think you can end up investing time on platforms that you think I've got to be on there because everyone's saying like, that's where to get sales. And actually like, if I look at the history of our sales over time, like it's never, they've never come from there. Yes, we definitely get, you have to be on there and we do get sales from there, but it's not be all and end all. It's not the major place where we get our sales from. And then just going back to Pinterest sense, for people who are listening who aren't on Pinterest, how would you say for them to approach it? I think you just have to experiment. So I think a really good way of doing it initially is to use something like Tailwind so that you could use some of your existing imagery that you've already got in the, because you don't, it doesn't need to be new imagery for Pinterest. That's the other great thing. So just test out, start pinning a few things, pin two or three images a day, and then just have a look at your statistics and see what's resonating with people, what people are repinning what's driving the traffic because you can see specifically what's driving the traffic to your website and then just build on that in the same way that you would on Instagram like what content is doing well let's do more of that yeah do you pin your blogs to Pinterest then as well so yes I pin so if there's images in a blog post I'll then take that image pin it on Pinterest and then link that image back to the blog post yeah so like you say it's circular and it's all it's all exactly yeah and that's the other good thing is that you're kind of reusing the same content again for a blog post and email Pinterest you know you can really make it go a long way and what would you say has been your best return on investment in the business um I think people that I found to work with in the early days you do everything yourself don't you I used to sell I used to package everything up out of my garage and <laughs> do it all myself and then I think the first people that I worked with were the two girls that do my um fulfillment and getting that warehouse and them doing the fulfillment was just the best investment because it meant that I wasn't physically tied to the business anymore, which frees you up to do other things and to work on other pieces. Whereas when I was doing it all myself, I had to be here every single morning, every single evening. I was like booking in all the stuff and it just means you're very physically tied to it. And and mentally tied to it as well, you know, mentally tied to it because you're thinking, oh, I have to be back, you know, I think it's really important as a business owner that you give yourself that time to sit, to be creative, to just, you know, a lot of people, they'll go for a walk and that's when their ideas come. 
you know yeah. but if, if you're sitting packing products you're focusing on right where are my stickers where's my thank you card where's my whatever not what's my next next product going to be or it wouldn't that pattern be lovely or or whatever it might be yeah exactly it is really it's very very time consuming and for me it was really easy to see when it was time to move to a fulfillment center because it's like i physically don't have enough room in my garage to keep turning this over because you only get a delivery you know every four to six weeks and it just wasn't working I was running out of product before the time came for a new delivery and there just wasn't enough space to order more so it was just it was like easy for me to realize when it was time the difficult thing is finding someone because a lot of these fulfillment centers are very impersonal they're like taking you know big companies they're not that interested in someone that's much smaller so I think it's always difficult to find the right people to bring on. Yeah. And I think they have a minimum spend that you need, a minimum value that you need to be putting through their business or through the fulfillment center, which when you're starting out, you just, you know, you can't guarantee and say, right, okay, I'm yeah. going to be selling 25 grand worth of stock every yeah. every month or whatever it might it be. This week, but I might not next week. I just don't yeah. know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And what are your plans for the business? At the moment, just really focusing in on our best sellers and just really you know, re- I think with the floating bedside tables, we've got, we've got, I think I've got like 15 SKUs of just floating bedside tables. So if we come out with a new product, I think it's going to be that again, because at the moment that's what people want and yeah. just accepting where we are in terms of the business and also just looking for other ways to promote the business other than Pinterest and SEO. So whether that's like doing podcasts, Hmm. or going to events I've been going to a lot more events recently because I think the world's kind of shifted from us all being in and on our computers to people wanting to be out there and meeting people and I think that's been a really nice element also trying to find a location for pop-up shop which has been an ongoing project for about a year <laughs> I just really hope we're going to find something soon have you and um, we can talk about this later when we start recording but Souks is a company have you been in touch with them Mm-mm. so Souk is S-O-O-K and um I had David, who's uh, the business development director, as one of my guests before. And they're like the concierge of pop-up shops. So they do everything for you. They have the locations throughout the UK. They have some abroad as well. So I will, I'll link it here in the show notes for anybody who's interested in doing pop-up shops. And I, they have places on South Moulton Street. They have places in Newcastle, Manchester. It just depends where you want to be. But the other thing that I was thinking, do you get in touch with developments, housing developments and housing stylists and all of that to, to work with them because they could buy for the showrooms. Yeah, I have got one lady that I work with regularly that does showrooms. She buys a lot from us because it does work really well. So obviously show show houses are generally like that bit shrunk down. So it works really well for them. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's definitely an avenue worth pursuing. Because like I say, I've got one lady I've been working with for a couple of years that does buy a lot. Great. And what, to, to finish up, what would you like to stop, start and continue doing in the business? I would like to stop worrying about what other people think. I had some advice recently from Elizabeth Styles, and she said to stop worrying about what you think other people are thinking, meaning people aren't really thinking about you. You've yeah. actually made something up that you think someone else is thinking. And I think sometimes we kind of procrastinate and think oh that's gonna be a bit cringe people are gonna think this and actually people just getting on with their life they don't care what you're doing yeah I think that's a really important lesson and just want to yeah stop worrying about that I want to start expanding physically with the business in terms of the pop-up shop that's like a big focus at the moment and I want to continue 
with what's working well in terms of Pinterest and blogging, even if those aren't the trendy TikTok type trends at the moment. Great. Thank you very much. And where can people find you and the business? So the business is urban size underscore home across all social media, urbansize.co.uk. Thank you very much. And I will be back again next week with another great guest. All of Sally's links will be in the show notes. And if you have enjoyed today's episode, which I am sure you have and hope you have, then feel free to leave a review so that more people can find the Start, Scale, Succeed podcast. Thanks very much, Sally, for joining me. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Start, Scale, Succeed. If you've enjoyed today, I would love for you to leave a review and I will see you again next week. If you'd like to hear more from me, your host, Nicole Higgins, you can follow me on Instagram at The Buying Retail Coach. Check out my website, www.thebuyingretailcoach.com or find me on LinkedIn. All the links are below in the show notes. And don't forget to subscribe to my newsletter, The Step, for lots of helpful tips and advice.